Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we thank you for your missionary heart that sent your son to this earth the first time so that we might have the hope of welcoming him when he comes a second time. As we review your leading in our past and think about your role in our mission, your mission, may the Holy Spirit that draws all people to you draw us into a deeper commitment to be a part of preparing people everywhere for your soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. I, we, the Institute of World Mission, have a heart for mission. This morning, my colleagues and I want to share with you why we have a heart for mission. You might say we better have a heart because we do missionary training for the world church. But we think it's our assumption that to be a Seventh-day Adventist means to have a missionary heart. Now, what does the word mission mean to you? We hear about diplomatic missions and military missions and space missions and even corporations have mission statements. But what is Adventist mission? Why do we have mission offerings and mission stories and why do we send missionaries? What does it mean to have a heart for mission? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary tells us that the word mission originally meant an act or an instance of sending. The uh, World Web Dictionary defines mission as a special assignment that is given to a person or a group. Now, the Bible is a story of God's people being sent on special assignments. Mission is the act of sending out a person or a group on a special assignment. And we read about Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Miriam and Esther and Ruth and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel, all sent out, serving God wherever he placed them. Of course, the greatest act of sending we read in the Bible is Jesus, who came to earth to live, die, and rise again for us. Jesus' last words to his disciples, as recorded in Acts 1.8, is our scripture reading for today. It was ascending on a special assignment. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, it took a little while for Adventists to apply that special assignment to their movement. Early Adventists believed that the door of salvation had been shut in 1844. They thought if you hadn't been part of the Millerite movement, you couldn't be saved. But over time, their thinking changed. George Knight describes the progression in this way. The shut door mission period from 1844 to 1852 had allowed for the development of a doctrinal base. The partially opened door period, 1852 to 1874, had afforded time for the building of a power base in North America for the support of mission to other Protestant nations. And the mission to the Christian Protestant nations period, 1874 to 1889, 
initiated with the sending of J.N. Andrews, had provided for similar development in England, Europe, Australia, and South Africa. Now, in 1874, this was a pivotal period in Adventist mission, even though the church only numbered about 7,000 people. That's all, just 7,000. But that small number of Adventists began to realize that they had been sent on a special mission. And much of that special mission originated, that thinking originated right here in Michigan. That year, Battle Creek College, the forerunner of this university, was incorporated. And 1874 also saw the first official foreign missionary, J.N. Andrews and his family, sent to Switzerland. Now, Andrews' first work was to establish a literature ministry, beginning with the French Signs of the Times. And slowly, the Seventh-day Adventist message began to spread in Europe. Those new Adventist believers had a heart for mission. And they began sending the Signs of the Times to friends and relatives in South America. As a result, within a few years, a small number of French-speaking believers sprang up in Chile and Argentina. Meanwhile, in Battle Creek, Ludwig Conradi began publishing The Voice of Truth in German for the German-speaking communities in North America. Somehow, in the 1880s, and nobody to this day knows how it happened, a man by the name of Carlos Drefke who was a German settler in Santa Catarina in southern Brazil, unexpectedly received 10 copies of the Voice of Truth in German. Now, Dredfiki had to be persuaded to accept those from the postmaster. He hadn't asked for them, and he didn't want to pay for them. And when the papers continued to come, he looked around for a way to get out of receiving those papers, fearing that at some point someone would ask him for, to pay for the papers. Eventually, the village drunk agreed to, to accept the papers, and, thinking that he could sell them to pay for his alcohol. And also, the store owner, where, where the mail was delivered, began to use them to wrap his merchandise. Now, despite that odd delivery system, pretty odd, right? Some who read the papers took them seriously, and a nucleus of Adventist believers formed in the German-speaking communities of southern Brazil. My colleague, Ron Kuhn, is from that part of Brazil. Ron, come and tell us, how did the Adventist message reach your family? Well, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God, the mission of God, is like a tiny little seed. It produces a tree that produces fruits and more seeds. Well, the, the German literature eventually was translated into Portuguese. And somehow, after Second World War, my father visited the house of his aunt, who had purchased a great controversy in Portuguese at that time. The name was O Grande Conflito, means the big conflict, like a war, the title was, the equivalent. So he, after Second World War, as a German, although born in Brazil, but in pure German communities, 
He was very interested and he said, "Oh, I'm going to read a book about war." Yes, it was a cosmic war. And uh, he accepted. He told me he devoured that book in a week. And he accepted Jesus as his savior and the Adventist message. But even way way before he did after the Second World War, before he accepted the seed had already been translated to Portuguese. So in a city nearby where I grew up, another family acquired the Adventist literature and their son became the first teacher and director of this tiny little school in the community of our, where I grew up. And that school celebrated 110 years last year. Me and my brothers, who all studied there, six siblings, we went there for that celebration. That little school had a mission vision to train people to serve God all over the world. And uh, my mother and my father moved from a big city to that school so we could receive an Adventist education. That school not only produced hundreds of workers for the the church and the cause of Christ in Brazil, but also in many parts of the world. This, the father of the current division president, Pastor Ayrton Kohler, Arno Kohler, he studied, he's also a pastor, he also studied at that school. You can see the fruits and the results of this tiny little seed. At that time, as you can imagine, books and magazines was the best evangelistic tools to share our message. They used the best. Is an example for us today. The church grew two and a half million Adventists today. And uh, as a result of that, the church can say, we were so blessed by the efforts and sacrifices of those few ones that had the courage and the vision to start something they had no idea where it will go and what's the result of that initiative. The church now is sending hundreds of missionaries all over the world. So I am a result of that, and I am very grateful for the vision and the sacrifices of those who believed in the kingdom of God. Thank you. Yes, amen. Yes, that little seed that started here spread to Europe, to South America, and now to the world. And Ron and his family have had a heart for mission, having served in their home country of Brazil and eight other countries on four continents. Now, at about the same time that the mission to the Protestant world was ending, 1889 there, this was found in the youth instructor. The shades of a July evening were drawing over the landscape, as the express left the Michigan Central Depot at Battle Creek, bearing us away on our journey around the planet on which we reside. The last farewells had been said, the last visit to familiar spots had been made, and now the long trip was really commenced. Signed, P.T.M. And that is what began Stephen N. Haskell's and Percy T. McGann's two-year trip around the world to survey the opportunities and challenges facing Adventist mission. In that year of 1889, 
The Seventh-day Adventists were on the verge of a worldwide expansion. Mission interest among Protestant denominations was at a high point in America and Europe in the 1890s. Dwight Moody and the student volunteer movement for foreign missions aroused Protestant mission fervor with their call for the evangelization of the world in this generation. This far-reaching vision for foreign missions stimulated Adventist thinking as well. So Haskell, who was the founder of the Tract and Mission Society and president of the California, Maine, and New England conferences, and I've been told all at the same time, don't know how, was asked by the General Conference to take an around-the-world trip to look for potential mission sites. McGann, who at that time was a student at Battle Creek College and later a renowned Adventist educator, in fact, one of the people that found this land that this university is planted on, joined Haskell, McGann joined Haskell in England and the detailed reports in the youth instructors of their two-year trip were widely enjoyed by young and older Adventists at home. Ella White Robinson recalls how, as a child, she eagerly implored any adult who seemed to be enjoying a little unnecessary leisure to read aloud those round-the-world stories signed P.T.M. Now, based on his observations, Haskell recommended some changes in traditional Adventist approaches and with far-reaching results. In South Africa, Haskell and McGann visited the missions of other denominations and to understand the factors in their success among the non-Christian groups that they were trying to reach. Now, Haskell was a strong tract and literature man, but he realized that something had to change in this new population. Self-supporting literature evangelists would not survive. It would fail because of the widely scattered population, the non-monetary nature of the population, and the pre-literate nature of of the indigenous culture. So he recommended starting schools and clinics as other denominations had done. Salusi Mission in what is now Zimbabwe, Malamulu Hospital in Malawi, and other such training institutions quickly followed, training missionaries such as Peter Nyambo from Malawi who helped to pioneer the work in Kenya. Today there are more Adventists in Africa than any other continent. My colleague, Oscar Osindo, is from Kenya. In a population of some 50 million, Kenya has almost a million Adventists. Tell us, Oscar, how your family came to be missionaries from Kenya. We need to go slightly back. Uh, It was in 1844 that uh, the first Protestant missionary went to Kenya through the East African coast and then opened the interior. Now, 1844, again, is very significant to the Adventist church, but that, that is the year that the Kenyan society opened up to um, the process of um, Christianization. But it wasn't until um, 1906 that the first Adventist missionary, Arthur Kaskalen, from England, went to Kenya to start the Adventist work. Now, in the 19th century, the Kenyan society was still in the migration process. They weren't very settled. 
until the 20th century is when the society settled. You're talking about the Christian Missionary Society. Uh, yeah, yes. Christian Missionary Society. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was uh, uh, Ludwig Kraft in 1944. Yeah. My people, just like the rest of the Kenyan society, were animists before the coming of Christianity. My great-grandfather became some kind of Christian, just acquired the name Jacob, that is all we know, and there is no evidence that he ever um, practiced any Christianity or even attended church, and he came maybe at the same time with his own sons, who are my grandfathers. And then my grandfathers also embraced a form, but they were Catholics, and they practiced that Catholicism, of course, a form of a syncretistic um, uh, Christian faith, you know, mixed with uh, animistic beliefs. But my grandfather um, kind of became a saved Christian. He belonged to a, a breakaway sect of the Catholic Church. He even abstained from the use of tobacco and alcohol. And his brothers as well were Catholics. And one of the, the, the habits that they took upon themselves is they discarded polygamy. They actually were monogamous, except two of them for, 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 for reasons which were, they say, beyond themselves. <laughs> My grandfather, uh, his wife, who is my grandmother, said, uh, let me bring another cousin of mine so you can marry her so that they can eat the wealth of my grandfather. He was wealthy, so they wanted to eat the wealth. Okay. So brought another... Help, of, helping uh, out her cousin is what she was doing. Yeah? She was helping her cousin. Yeah, 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 helping her so they can eat the, the, the wealth. Uh-huh. And uh, my, my, another of my grandfathers married a second wife because his first wife was barren, and so it was acceptable for them to go that route. But they rest. They were monogamous. So what you're telling us is that while you're... So, so, great, so, it, 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 so there is a development, a development. There's a development towards um, worldview change, yes. and, and which, I mean, sometimes it can take many years yes. mm-hmm. for people to change mm-hmm. their worldview. Yeah. So I'm just giving you this background. And then... Um, the days of my fathers, they were a little bit more uh, Christians than, and a little bit more schooled than their grandfathers. So they became literate. Is so, so they were literate. Uh-huh. And by the way, one of my youngest grandfathers uh, um, was able to finish high school, did further studies in Israel. So it was like the most learned of, of, mm. of my, my grandfathers. And so my fathers were a little bit more literate. They dispersed, they moved to other uh, parts of the country uh, to seek a better livelihood, um, uh, moved to the coast. My father moved to, to the coast of Kenya, which is quite uh, far away uh, from the west where we originally uh, came from. And, and in that movement um, is when I, um, coming from a Catholic background, I came across uh, Adventist preachers, that is, 36, 37 years ago, and became an Adventist. So you weren't born in the church? I was not born in the church, I was born in a hospital. This, I must set the record uh, very clear. Uh, Yeah, my my friends, my colleague, 
uh, Cheryl was born in a hospital, <laughs> in a church. Yeah. Uh, but for me, uh, no. Yeah. So, so then that is my journey. And then uh, I was uh, doing some other kind of job. My first training was electrical. My first four years of college, I studied electrical. And I was uh, serving government. And then the Lord called me to full-time ministry. And then thereafter, the Lord laid a burden on me to reach Muslim people. And that is then has taken me on the mission field in different places. And today, I thank the Lord. I'm here at the very heart of mission, uh, helping to prepare missions, missionaries to go out and share the gospel. There is still a lot of work that needs to be done, even in my own country, which has um, a good population of Adventists, but yet there are still many unreached people groups in my own country. Thank you. You know, Oscar and his family have, a, have had a heart for mission, and they have served largely in Muslim ministries in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. In 1838, a culporter, you know, are you hearing a theme here? Culporters plant seeds that become schools in some places. In other places, schools plant seeds. But in this case, in 1938, a culporter came to the door of my grandparents' home in Illinois. They bought the book, Bible Readings for the Home, and eventually accepted the Adventist message. One thing I learned from my grandparents is the truth of Ellen White's statement in, this, in The Desire of Ages. Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. My grandparents were home missionaries, always ready to share their faith and their food. They had one of those old-fashioned reel-to-reel projectors. Remember those? <laughs> that they used to give Bible studies. And they would often take along with them, my grandfather was a baker by trade, they would take with him one of his homemade loaves of bread. Their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren have followed in their example, serving God wherever he called them, at home or overseas. Now, because those early Adventists, starting right here in Michigan, had a heart for mission, our church has grown into a worldwide community of over 20 million. In 1890, there was only one Adventist for every 51,563 people in the world. Today, there is one Adventist for every 373 people. However, those are mostly clustered in certain parts of the world. God has certainly blessed our efforts because of Adventist hearts for mission. However, although many have benefited from Adventist literature, Adventist health, and educational systems, billions of people do not have Adventist literature in their own language or in any kind of Adventist witness in their communities. Today, the task has grown from that 1890 task because in 1890, there were one and a half billion people to reach for Adventists to witness to. Today, the task is so much bigger with seven and a half billion people still to hear the Adventist message of Jesus' soon return. Many 
need new and creative approaches to reach them. That's why we think that every Adventist needs to have a heart for mission. Starting this week and continuing for two more weeks, 23 families from around the world are attending Mission Institute here at Andrews University. They are doctors and dentists, pastors and teachers, administrators and humanitarian workers. Some are in mission supporting roles in their home countries. Like them, each of us has been given a missionary task. It's only when you and I are willing to accept the missionary challenge to take the gospel to all the world, wherever God calls us, at home or abroad, only then can the gospel be, be uh, shared with every person. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells us that the mission field is in Jerusalem, and that means Berrien Springs, Niles, Benton Harbor, St. Joe, any of our home communities. The mission field is in Judea and Samaria, the United States, and all the people of other cultures who live amongst us. Just think of all the Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists that live in our communities. And to the ends of the earth. That means every person on earth must hear. Will you join us in, in as our Adventist pioneers did, as this group of missionaries have, are doing, to say, I have a heart for mission? Can you say that with me right now? I have a heart for mission? We're asking you today to participate in dedicating these families who've been called by the World Church into cross-cultural mission service. And you know, while the World Church can call missionaries, it's really only the local church that can send them. Only when we, the members of the local church, are willing to send our sons and our daughters, only when we give our tithes and our offerings, only when we're willing to go wherever God calls us, only then can the good news of the gospel be taken to every part of earth. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.